Welcome to the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Sanders, physical therapist, and together I hope we can explore the best ways to stay fit, healthy, and active as busy adults. We all have a lot on our plate. So what is the most efficient way to exercise, eat, sleep, and train in order to continue to do the activities we love well into our future? I hope you enjoy this week's episode. This is the Fit for Tomorrow podcast, your home for everything physical therapy and the start to your road to recovery. For more information, visit our website at fitforfunction.com and schedule your free over-the-phone consultation. Once again, that is P-H-Y-T for function.com. And here's your host, Dr. Nick Sanders. All right, guys, today I'm with Patrick DiCaprio. Patrick is a client of mine who is also a teacher. And uh, over our sessions, we've had some really interesting talks about psychology, the mental aspects of dealing with students and and ourselves as adults as well, uh, kind of things we've struggled with and figured out along the way. And uh, so I wanted to have him on the podcast, talk a little about what he's seeing and what he's doing with the students. And uh, so, Patrick, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. It's my 12th year teaching. I'm certified in four through nine is my license in math and language arts, which is people always think is a weird combination because it's both sides of the brain. Um, I can dig into that more in a second. And then I've taught, I've had the opportunity to teach sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, and ninth grade. Um, So I've had a wide breadth of experience. And then I've also coached JV, JV golf, middle school, ran a middle school club, seventh grade girls basketball for four or five years, JV girls basketball, varsity football for a year, eighth grade football. So I've been around either a team or my students in all, all different levels and, and all different sorts of experiences. Covered the spectrum of youth and young adult sports and schools. So that's, that's awesome. And then, you know, as we kind of get started, I'd, I'd love to just kind of dive into your story because I think that's where this whole thing kind of starts for you. Um, do you want to tell, uh, tell us a little bit about kind of what got you so interested in the, the mental aspects of kids? Yeah, we, and we've discussed this uh, as far as like, like a big why and a big purpose. And this was also brought to me through, through teaching, um, as far as sharing that story and this, my story sort of starts as me wanting to become a teacher, um, my brother died by suicide when I was 20 years old. Um, he was 27 years old. He had taught me how to play guitar. He was one of my biggest mentors and uh, influences in my life. And um, for my family, it's still hazy as far as we didn't see any of the signs. And then that sort of drove me to think about my own uh, mental and emotional health and sort of start me on that journey. And then I decided, hey, I want to stop this from happening again for other people. How can I get the most impact? How can I see a great number of of people and try to make a positive change? And that's where teaching um, sort of played a role role as far as the big picture, positive impact. And I figured I could, you know, I've seen over a thousand students and as far as coaching and, and teaching them. So it was more of a, can I take this negative and frame it as a, as a good thing and make something positive out of it and also try to stop it and teach some preventative resources? Can I get to kids and give them tools when they struggle academically, when they struggle uh, athletically or, or in life and give those tools to you and messages earlier um, down from my path, coming back to them and, and trying to give them that 
you know, the coping strategies and the, and the toolbox and the toolkit and the resources to do something about it. Yeah. Building kind of the things you've learned when, when you say, you know, you, you kind of started that story by saying, you know, we missed some of the signs and what are things that, you know, looking back that you wish you would have recognized or things that you're looking for in your kids nowadays that are maybe something that, that give you a red flag or, or make you want to dive into what's going on. I view it as like people getting stuck somewhere. So you're brought in this world psychologically, you have a young child exploring the world and being curious and what does this taste like? And what does this do if I hit this button or what does this do if I throw it or what kind of reaction I get? And sometimes, you know, I see students getting stuck and that comes in as far as performance. What do you mean stuck? Like, like they're not able to learn, they're not growing. So they're struggling and they're not getting out of that struggle. So, um, you know, I'm at the sixth grade level now, if, if kids are failing multiple quarters or concepts, something's going on, you know, to me, that's a sign of behavior saying, Hey, something's going on. There's some sort of fear, or maybe there's some sort of trauma that's holding them back, but something's preventing them from learning and, and stuck. Cause everyone we know, you know, there's this idea of a growth mindset by uh, Dr. Carol Dweck. The more you put into something, more time you spend with it. Um, you get better at it, no matter what it is, podcasting, athletics, teaching, learning. So something's preventing them from learning and then trying to reach them through building relationships and giving them the space and talking about the social, emotional uh, literacy skills and giving them language to articulate it and trying to get them to get unstuck. So when, when you find a kid that's stuck and, and they're not progressing through the, the schoolwork as much as you think, yeah. you think a high percentage of that time is assigned something else is going on? Like not actually your ability yeah. to pick up the skills, but. Yes. And, and that's where it ends up sort of boiling down, down to it. It's not that they don't have the ability and sometimes they'll demonstrate the ability for me. And I, and I see it. Um, negative self-talk is a big sign I see with, with some students that are, that are stuck and, and they have this, the opposite side of the growth mindsets, the fixed mindset where I'm no good at math or I'm no good at this skill or I'm not smart and I'm never going to be. And they get, caught in that thought trap. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe they grow a shell and that shell becomes comfortable and they stay there for a while. How, what do you do for somebody? Like if you're hear, hearing them say that kind of stuff or. I try to talk them, talk them through it. I, I negative self-talk is one of the things I, I call out, you know, in class or I'll, call, I'll verbalize it to them. Um, but I'm trying to, have conversations on a consistent basis and develop that relationship with the kid is my best way to reach them. That's the challenge that challenge that brings me back on a, a daily basis because it's almost like they've given up on themselves and I get a front row seat at it. And I'm like, you know, I'm trying to, I told them the other day, like it's more than halfway through a school year, you know, I'm not giving up on you. And I'm like, I'm offering you help. Are you taking the help? And I can get some of them to say no, or the question that I love to ask them is what's holding them back. Yeah. You know, now the lower you go, the lower you go, the harder it is for kids to articulate that or, you know, so much is subconscious and under the surface. Yeah. How do you build that relationship to get that trust is, is a challenge. And and I see in my world in in the physical therapy side, somebody comes to you with back pain and and that's kind of how the conversation starts, but you, you quickly find out that 
some of that back pain may have an emotional contribution to it or be a history of this or that, or, or some kind of trauma. And, um, it's interesting when that conversation shifts in my world, like almost once in a while, it's on an initial evaluation, but yeah. usually it's three or four visits in and you really start to kind of have built enough kind of relationship trust with that person that, that you kind of get the real nitty gritty details. Um, what's that like on a teacher student relationship? Cause you got, it's a group of people, right? And yeah, um, it's gotta be different. So I, I feel sort of like fo- coaching football, you coach football as well, or it's individual way, group, way back group and team, yeah. you know, like all three phases, like you gotta be able to individually have the skill. You gotta be able to do it within a small group and then you gotta be able to do it as a team. For me, it's making sure the kids know I care. It's modeling the behavior. It's carving out space. So it's a really super cool thing for this math program I'm using. It's called CPM, but they tell you to keep themed days throughout the year. So I do motivational Mondays, tell me something good Tuesdays, uh, wellness Wednesdays, bad joke Thursdays, and then uh, do like fun Friday, try to do some, some game stuff like that. So I carve out that space and it becomes rituals. You know, then, you know, you talk about being an athlete and having consistency and having a a schedule and having a ritual, you know, I'm trying to find something to show them about learning and how the brain works or psychology behind social emotional literacy or a breathing, a breathing bubble kind of skill or four square kind of breathing or some sort of skill of that nature. And, And the mental aspect and some of those messages, the mindset thing, right? You look at sports and you look at the teams that are at the professional level, they all have similar skill sets. You know, wide receivers can run four, two, four, three, four, four. What sets that team apart on a championship level? And if the championship level teams are doing it on a consistent basis, you know, it, it's it's mindset, it's approach. Um, you see that with Tom Brady being su- so successful. So, and I make sure, like I I talk and I'm very open and authentic with them because um, I wanted to go both ways. And I, you know, I talked to them about my brother and, and I shared the big why and I showed them pictures and I told them, I don't want anybody else to feel this. And, you know, feelings are mentionable and manageable. It, it, that trust you're talking about, building that to the point where they can get comfortable with it. And then for me, it's a patience thing because the kid has to be ready. When the kid's ready, the teacher appears, you know, they have to want to get the help. And that's, that's where the, some of the conflict comes in or frustration, maybe in my side or not being patient enough is that it, it's take, it takes me sometimes 90, hundred days, you know, I'm trying to, to reach them. And you talked about trauma and carrying it. I was just in a session last night uh, with Jen Grice Hayes, which I encourage you to have her on your podcast. I want to talk to uh, more about her, but she was talking about, she showed images uh, they did some sort of scan in the who, who, who is, I'm not familiar with her. Who she's she does um, like yoga for classrooms. It's like a national organization. She'll, she'll travel around. She worked at I Promise School, um, bringing in yoga and, and some social emotional resources. Um, she's she's a the wife of one of my friends from school. And, you were uh, we were having this conversation. Yeah, she works on. Uh, she's working in our district right now on our breathe team. Um, and I'm going through these sessions, um, all about self-care and self-compassion. And, and she was talking about the trauma, uh, that people carry with them and even where your body lights up when the emotions are going on. And she talked about teachers carrying a lot of having a lot of neck and shoulder pain because they're literally carrying the burden, the emotional needs and trying to meet the physical needs of the kids that, that come in front of them. 
um, we're talking more about the, the, the emotional, social literacy part and, and those skills. But, you know, if a kid was coming to you and they were hungry and they weren't fed or they didn't have a shelter, that security, that Maslow's before blooms, like you have to know that I care about you from a coach's perspective. I need you to want to play for me. You know, I can't build resentment for, and that gets into leadership and, and leaving that space and allowing kids to find ways to connect with me. Um, one of the tools I use on Wednesdays is they come in and they use a little Google form. I call it my day check-in. I adopted it from um, one of my best friends that I worked with at the high school and the kids rate their day one to 10, one worst day ever. I need to talk to somebody 10 best day ever. They identify emotion. I put 25 core emotions from Dr. Brene Brown's work. Um, and then they tell me why. And it, it, for me, it's a data point. For me, it's a way to be proactive if they're bringing anything in that I should know about outside. And it gives them a way to connect with me and check in with me anonymously. And they all can respond, you know? So I'm going to, I'm going to circle. I want to, on that Google yeah. form, is that, is that private then? Is it anonymous? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I, I only, well, well, I know their name. I know who's their names, but I'm not sharing that with anybody. Okay. So um, they, yeah. And then well, you mentioned your journal where you're doing the like wellness Wednesdays. And is that, is that something that you're, they're writing down or is that just kind of like a theme of your well, I, class? That's just like a sort of a theme there that my day check-in it's like right at the beginning of class, they write a little bit down. Now that's where at the sixth grade level as an 11 or 12 year old, you have a little bit less to say. The yeah. ninth grade level, they might put a little bit more in there, but I'm essentially trying to find out more about the iceberg. You know, people are like 10% above the surface. You know, they, right. they don't tell everything they know. Behavior is a sign. Hey, you know, even a, can you approach me? Do I want you to approach me? What kind of body language? What kind of energy is that person giving off? Um, and, you know, I tell, I tell them all the time. It's like how you feel about what you're doing is sometimes more important than what you're doing, you know, for right. me. Yeah, I just I just filmed an episode with uh, Casey White, and and she does like a mental toughness coaching, and she does that with her athletes. There's a journal, and um, you know it's a little different structure wise, but it's it's a lot of the same thing. Something that is positive, something negative, uh, something you want to work on, but also a lot of focus on strength, which is something I'm hearing you kind of echo as well, like a focus on the strengths. Yeah, if you think about, I just read the Kevin Love. Uh, he posted one out in September, but, and this is where gender comes into play too. coming up as an athlete, you know, taking losses, personal, the messaging that you get coming up as an athlete and, and boys don't cry, like men don't cry and, and girls are allowed to be, Oh, they're just being emotional. So there's so many, you know, life's so complex and messy. There's so many, so many factors going on and context to situations, but coming up with that and then viewing it as a, a strength to talk about, you know, we weren't talk taught about this in school. My parents were brought up, you know, fifties and sixties where everything stays inside the home. We don't share things. I'm getting text messages from my mom or a call from my mom. Hey, Pat, while you're posting it on Facebook, kids are coming up now and they have the world at their fingertips. They get upset or angry, boom, type, 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 type message. And now there's ripples out there. And if that message is going after somebody else or something, it's such a different world, but and the pandemic has forced us to, I think come face to face with ourselves and, and, and who we are and, and really be a little bit more honest about some of the struggles and the mental aspect of things. What do you think about the social media side of that? Like, uh, obviously it's an outlet for people and it gives them 
maybe that opportunity to share some of their thoughts. And, and I'm sure there is some just kind of a, a mental release part of making that post that you got it out, but it is visible to everybody and <laughs> out of context, right? Like you, yeah. you might say something in a certain way, but when you read the written word, it's uh, you know, who knows how people interpret it. What, what's your opinion on the, I think you go into smartphone and technology and social media as you try to find a humane use for it. I mean, how young is young enough to get a cell phone? And we both have one, had one and a half. Yeah. We had so many years in our lives where it wasn't a factor. We have a before time, you know? So these kids are growing yeah. up all around them. And then, you know, or if you go out to eat the devices. So like you think about, if we're thinking about learning or engagement you have to think about or high performance, what are barriers to that? Um, sometimes social media plays into um, kids with trying to keep up the perfect facade or the, the perfect front and the highlight reel. And all you see is the highlights, or maybe it's a little bit of a, like, you're almost creating a different identity online. You see it with the keyboard warriors on Twitter and social media, you know, like Twitter, if they, they don't use their actual name, they can, more likely be a little more cruel or put something out there. Yeah. Um, that's That's going to have a, some, some major ripple effects, but it's, it's the humane use of technology. And then, you know, when do kids ever turn it off or when do they have a quiet space or, you know, I'm not expecting my 11 or 12 year olds to be like, Hey, I just need a little break from social media right now. I'm going to shut everything down and, and, and be quiet for a while. So, I mean, there's stories out there where like kids are trying to keep their Snapchat streaks. So they're giving their username and passwords to other people to try to keep what it going. Is, what know? is a Snapchat streak? It forms the, see, they're playing. There's this guy, Tristan Harris, that talks about humane use of technology, but there's social engineers that are like manipulating the, you know, your feeds and what you see and what you're interacting with and sending you those little messages because you talked about posting something what comes along with that is the psychological, like the physio response, right? The, Are, is, the, I, so I don't use Snapchat. Chemicals, the chemicals, the I don't chemicals use Snapchat. Is there literally a thing that says you've posted a hundred days in a row or whatever? I don't use it either, but there's something where we, we would have a, if we and you keep interacting, we get this streak, right? And the kids don't want the streak. It's a social bond. They don't want to keep the, the streak oh, going. So at the high school level, when I was teaching, and sometimes I would be trying to get them to turn their phones in or, at this level, at the sixth grade, it's not really that much of an issue, but I saw it more at the high school. They had a lot of anxiety and separation anxiety from their phone. I mean, I have that, right? Um, yeah. I'm always on the stupid thing. And and like you're saying, I have, we grew up without them more or less. The Snapchat, that, that Snapchat streak, that's a creepy thing, right? Like, cause now if somebody hasn't talked to you or texted you back, not only are you like, oh, why haven't they texted me or messaged me, but. <laughs> Snapchat's oh, yeah, going to tell you it's going to throw it in your face. That's so weird. That's a great point. You just make up is that the, the first thing those kids start telling themselves or we tell ourselves, we post something and we don't get enough likes. This is echoing some, uh, uh Simon Sinek's, um, ideas and concepts too, is that you start telling yourself, you know, is it not cool? Is it not cool enough? Am I not good enough? You start getting that little negative self-talk messaging thought trap zone going in. And do I take it down? Do I delete it if it doesn't get enough likes or if the person doesn't respond to me? Talk about text messages, instant gratification right there. And you text somebody and you don't get a response back. And what's the story that's going? Brene Brown says you start telling yourself stories if you don't know what's going on. The story I'm telling myself is 
you know, Nick doesn't like me because Nick's not responding. You know, like you, you, right. you go there. Or did I do something? Did I say something? Or am I bothering them? You know? Yeah. I mean, I run into that still as, as a business, right? A patient client texts me and, uh, you know, half the time I'm checking it, you know, real quick as I'm going to wash my hands, I look at my phone just yeah. to make sure nothing crazy's happened. And, and you click it to make sure it's, you know, not an urgent thing or, um, and then you don't reply for another four hours. And and then you're like, mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, I hope I do it enough that people just realize it's my normal, but, uh, it is crazy. Cause, and, and then on my end, I have like this, this small anxiety, like I haven't gotten back to that person yet. And it's been, oh, yeah. You know, it's like, man, uh, the expectations or, or even an email now, like, uh, you know, text messages, you, you kind of expect 24 hours, I think, but even emails, yeah. I would say most people I've seen surveys and I, I can't recall them off the top of my head, but your expectations on how quick you should get a reply from an email. It has to be inside 24 hours. Yeah. I would say most people expect it. And that's, um, those. I mean, that's beauty about tech, but you also have to be concerned about how they're using it. And I talked to my kids about how it's impacting their attention span. I think average attention span is six minutes right about now. Those kids are growing up and they have 50 tabs open on their device and 50 tabs open in their brain, mm-hmm. you know, and they're flipping back and forth between them. And so they're never really focusing on one, you know, I, I say task at hand, what's the task at hand. And, right. and I, that's one of my biggest challenges is keep trying to redirect people towards the content and, and keep the kids engaged and task at hand, task at hand, because they have, they're all working in groups in this CPM program. So they have their friends right there. You know, they got people right there that they can engage with. Um, they have the device right there that they could be trying to sneak a game in if they're, they're really into it or trying to finish a round or something of that nature. But you know, how is it impacting the brain and how is it impacting performance is essentially how I look at everything teaching, learning, coaching, even when you were an athlete, how can my mindset impact my performance? Yeah. I wonder if there's a part of it that's positive, right? Like I'm learning how to multitask and I'm learning how to work quick yeah. and, and do things and at speed. Um, I don't know. I mean, well, it's, beautiful. it's beautiful. You got connections, you can reach people there. There's the right. information at your fingertips. Beauty, um, beauty and beast of, of that nature. Yeah. Like everything, there's there's moderation and balance. Yeah, I was just telling a client the other day I, when my wife and I, ah, we had been dating a couple of years, probably. Um, I don't think we were married yet, but anyway, I had started the business. I was probably a year or so into the business, and her and I had gone down to West Virginia. We were gonna, um, her uncle had like a camp down there, and we were gonna spend the weekend in West Virginia and do some hiking and some fishing and whatever. And we got down there and I wasn't really thinking about it, but we had no cell service. So I had no internet, no cell service, brand new ish business. And I like went panic mode. I was like, I can't answer emails. I can't do this. I can't. And I hadn't like told anybody I was going to be away because I just wasn't going to have cell service. And there was like eight hours of, Oh, this isn't good. This isn't good. This isn't good. And then it was like the best weekend I've ever had because (laughs) when I finally let go of, I don't have my phone. Um, yeah, you know, your brain got that chance to just kind of reset. And I think that's, what's real interesting. What you're saying about, uh, from the yoga standpoint, it starts to reconnect us a little bit, right? We're grant, we're down the mats, we're on the floor, um, kind of takes some attention. What, um, what, what were you guys doing with that? Um, there for the trying to self-compassion and self-care last night was all about emotions. Um, she's come in and present to the entire school for like wellness days and stuff like that. But 
every session has been a little bit different and, and trying to give us some tools and practices, but also trying to give us the information about is the know, focus by it. Is the focus for you as a teacher or is it to be able to yeah, deliver this it to a, students? This is, a, this is a teacher program, but essentially anything that I, this is really about adult adults and their okay. impact on kids too. So I'm, you know, I just take everything and try to apply it within my own classroom. You know, it, I don't separate, we're all human beings. So, you know, they're still going through so much growth and so much development physically and mentally. And the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until age 25, which is their decision-making, you know, the frontal, you know, their brain's still going through. So I try to take that and and apply it as I can at at their level. Um, Earlier, the better, you know, from my standpoint. Yeah. I, I can't, I don't know if I've ever seen a a young, like a 12 year old do yoga. Um, (laughs) I haven't, I haven't used too much of that in my, in my classroom, um, the yoga style, but I have tried to do a little bit of, a little bit of breathing, um, with them and try to get them to to tune out a little bit. And, you know, if we're not using the devices, shut them off and sort of get out of the way and, and, you talked about not having your phone and having a great weekend and you think about the greatest moments in your life. I would hope that the phone wouldn't be in your hand for them. Right. right, which, which right. I, love playing music. I play music and play guitar. I can't keep my phone in my hand if I'm playing a song or if you're out there on the field, getting whatever achievements, winning league championships or, you know, um, playing the playoffs or whatever ends up being the phone's not in your hand, the birth of your child, the phone, you know, like, well, maybe the phone's in your hand now a little bit for that one. It's <laughs> so I think that's interesting because there's a mix between enjoy the moment, like be in the moment, enjoy what's yeah. going on. Just take it in. Right. Just, just have a good time and take it in present, mo- pre- present moment awareness. Yes. And then there's the flip side of, I want a picture of this so I can look back and reflect on it. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, like yeah. and with social media, people are more and more wanting to document, um, you know, we, we, we've talked about this, but my wife and I were able to go to New Zealand for our honeymoon and you get to these tourist sites and I mean, just phones everywhere, blah, 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 picture, picture, picture. And at some point it was like, you know, at certain places, like just enjoy it, take it in, yeah. you know, like this is, uh, it's a really cool moment. Can you but, get the, can you get the video or the, the picture of the food or whatever it is, and then get the phone out of the way to, you know, the videos that people take at the, at concerts, you know, like it seems cool in the moment or whatever, but you go back and listen to it and the sound quality is terrible. And the person behind you is talking and laughing or whatever. And right. it's like, can you just be there in that moment? Um, so some of those spaces are fantastic. I, there's a open mic I go to, we used to go to pre pandemic times in Lakewood at this place called brothers lounge run by this guy named Brent Kirby. It's called the 10 by three, but it's all about a listening environment and the, the, um, televisions are shut off and people are encouraged not to talk and not to be on their phones and just listen and pay attention to the artists. And it's a really small room too. So it, for me, that was one of the things I'd love to go to because of that specific environment. It gave you, know? you that. Yeah. If you go to a sport, when I was coaching, you know, there's a couple hours without your phone that we could just sort of focus. And, and if I'm golfing, I'm turning my phone off and putting it in my bag. Yeah. You know, we've my talked, could we've talked about that before. And his work email, you know, certain people, you know, they're on the work email or something like that. I'm like, no, everybody, you know, that I need to be with is probably right here. You know, it can wait. Yeah. I, I think there's two things to that. I hate the, you know, people talk about if, if, if we're together and you got your phone in your hand, what message is that telling me? Right. Like, yeah. 
Um, you know, I'm not, not as important as what's going on in, on the phone. So there's that, I mean, there's definitely that aspect of it, especially depending on the situation and if it's expected for you to have a phone or not, but then, uh, and now with the watches, right? Like the oh, watches yeah. are just as bad. People are like, you know, they're just constantly looking at their watch. Like, <laughs> Stop looking at your watch. Um, well, who's, telling, who's telling what, who, what to do is the phone telling you what to do or are you telling the phone what to do? Uh, yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. I mean, I think that's why I won't, that's why I don't want an Apple watch. Uh, I mean, maybe some point in my life I'll get one, but I already know I have the phone. At least that I can, you know, chuck in a corner if I, if I don't want to look at it. Um, but I, the watch, it just, it's becoming more and more attached, which is, again, I yeah. get the benefits. Um, but look at Jocko's picture in the morning. He's got a digital old school. Wall, you know, yeah. Old school, yeah. <laughs> 430. Jeez. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. But yeah, I mean, I, I've told you this story, I believe, but, you know, obviously that fly fishing is one of my, like, any kind of fishing is kind of my escape, right? It's kind of my reconnect yeah. moment. And, I love fish pictures, like taking pictures of the fish and the, the scenery and the river. Like I, I, that's part of something I enjoy. It's almost gotten yeah. to a point now though, where I don't want to take a picture because if my phone comes out of my pocket and I see an email or a text message or a missed call or, or any of those things, cognitively, I know it will wait. Like there is no emergency that I, I need, but if I see it and then I got to answer it and then it's like, you just kind of broke your rhythm, you know? And uh yeah. And then if you saw it and you don't answer it, maybe you're thinking about answering it or that, that weighs on your, on your mind. Right. As soon as you see it. And I mean, there's obviously there's real emergencies that, that you need to have and, and be aware of, but most of the time, the things that are going to like mess with my flow is going to be, you know, something work related or flows, of, you know, flows essentially, you know, educate, use an education to as well. And, you know, highest athletes when you're in that, in the zone, right. Yeah at a poker table or in a game or even with education or music, can I get so engaged? Can I get in such a state of flow or in yoga where the whole world almost, I forget about how much time it is. It's one of those moments where, and I love it when the kids, I can set something up for the kids that they go, I go 10 minutes left in class. And both of us are going, how is there only 10 minutes left in class? Mm -hmm. That's interesting that you say that from a school standpoint. Instead of watching it. Well, I want to, I want, I want to be, able to get to that point or that state of flow that's the highest level where the whole world drops off around me Mm -hmm. what are you doing for the students to kind of try to promote that like i i hear that talked a lot in athletics um but not necessarily from a workplace even or or an education standpoint so i'm trying because they're all in groups and i tried the other day where i gave them like a higher level question and, and gave them some feedback and maybe I put candy on the other end of it. Um, and I try to encourage that growth mindset where they get unlimited feedback from me. And I, I try frame it in the, as a team challenge and I, let, I, I give them a little gates too. I'm like, all right, you got to come up and check with me. If you get these first two, right. All right. Once we get these first two, right. And then I did a stump the team, stump the other team's challenge where it was like a algebraic expression. So they had to pick a variable, a value for X. So that's where they got to make a choice and they got to pick anything they want. And they started picking concepts maybe that they were next level or, or the next grade level to try to stump their other people. And that allows me to have a conversation about some of those things and it allows them to feel engaged and challenged. And then they're also, it got into this, I'm trying to knock the other team out or I'm going to ruin your season. Hey, Pittsburgh Steelers, here come the Cleveland Browns, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of mentality where they're, they're happy and getting into, Hey, they're calling out kids from the other side of the classroom. 
hey, Johnny, I'm coming for, you know, like that one's for you. I'm going to knock out. Like I was partners with him last chapter. I'm going to knock him out because he thinks he's so great, you know? So it turned into that. Anytime I can gamify it, or if you think about practice, if it's just a, a drill without any sort of weight or consequence or to it, maybe you're just going through the motions. How can we turn this into more of a game like kind of simulation or um, what does the winner get out of, or, you know, some sort of, Game of gamify. Yeah. Gamifying algebra gives me anxiety. <laughs> I'd be knocked out real quick. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're just trying to, I'm just trying to give them feedback, you know, like you're playing a video game. Like, yeah, I get, I mean, that's did that, cool. Yeah. Did that work in that level? You know, like, did that move work? All right. What do we have to do now? We have to slow down or we have to um, try something different. The, the Einstein quote insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting the yeah. uh, results, you know? Input, that's, a, that's a really cool out. approach you know like you change your you, you give quality input and you get quality output so i'm trying to get them in, in that kind of in mode and there's been some beautiful moments because you see them uh learning what it's like to be part of an actual team and especially kids that don't participate in a team like activity mm-hmm. you know the, con- the conflicts that stem out of that and 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 trying to redirect them and maybe if I know what their goal is, I can use that as a little bit of a carrot, you know, like, Hey, if you really want that, a, I see what you're doing right now. That's not an A before, you know, like what you're doing right now is going to hurt in a couple of weeks. If that's, if that's yeah. really what you want and, and trying to make them connect that, uh, that long-term it's, goal setting sometimes can disappoint yourself, but a long-term game, uh, Simon Sinek says the infinite mindset, the big picture, the big game, um, versus the short-term finite, um, quick, quick fix or decision and, and get them to connect that the work you're putting in now three weeks before the test is laying the foundation for how you, how you perform. Right. Oh, and, and I can imagine, you know, if I know there's going to be a game like that, I'm going to study, right. Because I don't want to be the, I don't want to be the person knocked out. Right. Like it's, you're going to, you're going to yeah. prep yourself for the, the competition uh, and, and, and testing and grading and, and business, right. It's all kind of that competition and you're just learning how to prep those skills. So I think that's cool. Uh, when you said the goal setting thing, and it can be a disappointment. I heard something really uh, good. It was um, uh, Francis Naganu. He's like this fighter for the UFC. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast and they're on stupid little clips now because he's on Spotify. And so you got to yeah. listen to like little beat pieces. But, you know, he was talking about his journey of of getting to uh, where he's at and, and getting out of Africa and all this. I mean, it was just a, his story is insane. It's worth a listen. But he was talking about goal setting. And the, and the quote was something along the lines of you set this goal. And even if you don't get there in the year. And, and you, you can get like you could get upset like, man, I wanted to have this done and I didn't get it done. Yeah. But the, the quote was something along the lines of you're one step closer or the progress that you've made towards that. And um, that was something I just, it resonated with me because so many times you're like, all right, this year I'm going to do this. And even if you didn't accomplish any of it, you could still, with that mind frame, you could still look at it and go, all right, well, I didn't accomplish that goal, but I've learned that this particular strategy isn't the way to do it. So now I can reframe my attack and I can replan. And it, because that goal exists, even though I didn't make any progress, at least I have that opportunity to make a change. And now I'm back towards working on it. Yeah. You, really cool. The the Jocko good part of that, what you just said is you reframed it. If you didn't get it, you know, yeah. the dangerous part, the play, 
place where that is, and, and I've, I've done it myself, I'll be happy when I, when I do this. I'll be happy when I get my driver's license. I'll be happy when, I, when you're delaying your own happiness and gratification, or you're just achievement collecting without, I mean, you're looking at growth. It was really what you're talking about from start mm-hmm. to finish. Um, Simon Sinek, with that finite versus infinite mindset, would talk about as long as it helps you in a long-term picture. So let's, or the long-term goal. So if you're starting a new exercise program, but your whole big process goal, process goals are fantastic, um, is to get healthier. You know, does that help you? Like you're saying, get closer to that big, does it have a long-term impact? Does it help you get, um, a bigger picture? Sometimes you set that goal and then, but you also, as long as you're, you're aware that, you're putting yourself out there. You're daring for something. You're reaching for something. And there's going to be an emotional response, frustration, disappointment. What do you do when you, the plan for failure, right? Allowing yourself right. to fail. A, you have to be brave enough to allow yourself to fail, which is what I'm trying to get some of these kids into. You know, um, they're scared. Maybe they failed so many times. They're scared to try. Why would I try again? I'm going to fail again. And they get this fear of failure. And that's where, you know, you gave yourself permission to fail there. You reframed it if you didn't get it. And for you, maybe it was part of a bigger picture and a, a, a bigger goal. Fantastic. Um, I don't like the uh, students that are like great collecting or maybe I'm delaying happiness for achievement. I'm not going to be happy until I get my first NBA championship or get the league championship or whatever ends up being. And then if you don't achieve it, you just got to make sure you can handle the response to that. And that doesn't help you. That doesn't keep you stuck or get the shell or the armor back on. Right. I, I, th- I think what you're, you're saying, like, even though that end goal is still your target, you got to yeah. appreciate the small kind of the, uh, the journey along the way, the, the climb along the way. It was track of it, you know, from a coach we used to say, right. we brought in uh, one of our soccer teams won the state championship and we brought that coach in and he said 1% better every day, mm-hmm. you know, the long-term little growth. And a lot of times, even for me playing guitar or something like that, it's hard for me to notice but if I share it with somebody else or that hasn't heard me play for a while, or I'm visiting my brother and I'm playing guitar for him, they'll notice it or they'll say right. something. And then you, and that's where like, we get so focused on, you know, did my sales go up this quarter or what are my grade? What, what are the grades or what are the achievement part that um, you, you have to think about the, the growth part and emphasize that that's where grades get a little bit dangerous. Cause it's like, you know, it's about learning and it's about what do you do with new material and it's about learning how to deal with adversity and work ethic and discipline and, you know, all those, all those little factors. It's not just, Hey, I, I got an A, you know, and that's yeah, I mean, where the, the emotional literacy part comes in because if, if you're a brilliant person or a brilliant mathematician or, and you don't know how to navigate the emotional psycho- psychological world, I, I just don't think you're going to be able to reach people in an organization or as a leader. Yeah. Yeah. I struggled with that. I, I, I taught a anatomy class at master's level and uh, athletic training. And even there I saw like kids were so focused on the grade, like that was the outcome and, and you need a measurement and I get that, but it was like, let's kind of enjoy the process along the way here. There's a lot of stuff to kind of figure out that, uh, but I guess you got to measure it somehow. And, and you I don't want to just, you just don't want to send the message at the only thing that matters is achievement. It's, it's yeah. the learning and growth. Like you right. want that learning and growth coach culture. Right. Why, are you making, are you making progress? And that's why where, are you here? Yeah. 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 I look at the kids and I'm like, if you're not making progress, there's something I need to help you out or you need help or. 
it, it circles you all, all the way back around. How how have you seen? Like I know I know music is is a big part of what you do. How have you seen? How do you take your experiences with music and relay it back to what you do with teaching and, and from that psychological aspect? I I know that's a you big know, part of learning is learning is learning. Um, and I it, it, it's great for me to have be well-rounded. I always want to be a well-rounded person. I didn't want to be the person with the senior picture in the football jersey. You know, I just just playing sports. And so with the with the kids, give me your question one more time. I just lost it. <laughs> I just kind of like, how did you how oh, the do you music. look at music and, right. and how does that relate into that, that mental mindset and, and learning? You know, if you're, if you're learning something new or if it's something that's challenging, slow it down, break it into pieces, just like coaching. How can we break this specific skill down into a drill? And then how can we incorporate it into the bigger picture of a play or a scheme? And with music, if, if you're struggling at a, a a piece you'd break it down into pieces maybe you slow it down and speed it up and then there's also that satisfaction of i can't play it and now i can and 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 those bad those feel really good when it takes a week or it takes a couple weeks or if i'm writing a song and, and i finally figure out the puzzle to the song and maybe it's you know i pull stuff out from years ago 12 years ago i all bring a song out now i can finally figure it out or i found that missing piece and that long-term satisfaction satisfaction and achievement um satisfaction of that achievement um that that's great i just look at learning as learning and, and i use sports analogies like that if you're if you're coaching you break it down in the smallest piece possible or smallest parts or as slow as slow as smooth mm-hmm. you know john wouldn't be quick but don't hurry let's go through these drills and get them right and then that's built up and and, and the technique and your individual technique how does that play into the group and how does that play into the team and how can we simulate the best and, and learn that skill? So it, essentially you're teaching skills, right? It's skill-based, but I also want my kids, I'm trying to improve their brain function and make them better thinkers and critical thinkers, right? You know, they'll come up and ask me for questions, but they got Google at their fingertips. It's like, they don't know what it's like to not have it there, you know? So like you're trying to also get them to be able to use the resources and make them better thinkers and speakers and the communication aspect and and those are all the same thing as as music you know i got to be able to be on the same page with with the other people the best teams i'm with maybe require the best bands i'm with require the least amount of verbal communication and we can just flow and connect without words um and then being able to bring that and connect with others that that's I, so I don't do music at all. I, yeah. I listen to it. I enjoy it, but like, I don't know anything about it. So it's interesting for you to say that about playing, right? Like if you're with a band and everybody's just kind of on the same page, it reminds me of basketball. Like when you play a pickup yes. game and you kind yes. of get on a team and you've never met people before, but somehow or another, like people are setting picks and making passes. Clicking. And yeah, it's yeah. just like, that's, you know, it's weird when, when that kind of all comes together. Uh, that's what, when you said that, that's what, what I kind of referred back to. I, I think it's interesting, the, you know, the emotional side of music and, and what that means to you. I know you mentioned to me a while back saying like, it kind of triggers memories for you. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a time machine. We, yeah. we heard, uh, we heard that song and even the, even the one after was one that my dad's wedding band played, you know? So it was, it was, it, it takes me back to where I heard it or an experience or something with them. And I, sh- I played my kids a video where it talks about 
music, the emotional component of the lyrics and telling your story. And that deals with like satisfaction and, and engagement, telling that story in the poetry of the lyrics. And then also the mathematical side of, of, of the rhythm and the timing. Um, when you're playing music, it actually sort of melts them together. So there's that emotional impact. There's the mood and the feeling of the actual music. I, I heard Trent Res Reznor on a documentary the other day um, talking about one of his early songs. And he was talking about, he does a lot of film scores now, what he wanted the audience to feel from the sounds and the different choices he was making um, in the instrumentation. So you get that you get a, the emotional part of it. You get the logical part of it with, you know, what's the messaging what's going on? How's it being delivered? The energy part of that, um, in a live setting, you're trying to feed a little bit off of what's going on. You're trying to feed off the people in your band as well. I mean, there's so many factors to how you interact with people's emotions and thoughts and feelings. And th there's something innate about music, right? Uh, we're talking chants and prayers and alms and yoga and every religion culture has their version of, of that. And, and it's way outside of my uh, pay grade or intelligence level, but <laughs> it's interesting, right? Like those natural things like sounds and music and, and how they, universal. How they people. like a universal truth. Like you're saying it's, it's everywhere. It's every culture. It, it comes out somewhere in, in that form of communication and that form of storytelling. And to me, that's an, uh, and it's always going to be out there. Um, there's a Shakespearean sonnet. I can't quote the exact one, but it talks about how it's like, I immortalize you through these words, essentially. I'm going to write a poem, a love poem for you, and you're, it's going to live on forever. And and that's a little bit of uh, part of it for me, too, is, you know, trying to leave a little bit of a legacy or leave a little bit of a, a trail. And and then now it's you're taking these natural forms of storytelling and uh, music, and now the technology is getting applied to it, right? Like we're sitting here doing a Zoom call. Right? <laughs> and it's really just storytelling, right? And yes. uh, information sharing. And, how you connect is yeah. your stories with people and, and the empathy. And you talked about, um, you know, the, the most vivid memories for people are the ones that are attached to heightened emotional responses. You know, yep. the birth of a child, you know, the death of a loved one, you know, in the same way, sort of with music too, that, that can take you back in those certain headspace and uh, where you're at. And I mean, you talk about the concept of infinity, the music that's coming out and, and Northeast Ohio is, is great music and great bands. And it just, it's, it's an infinite concept. You talk about math. There's always going to be new music and there's always going to be another band out there. And there's, there's how many thousands and millions of bands in the, the years that have gone on there's the same number of notes for everybody you know there's 12 notes you know there's the same number of chords and the fact that it keeps talking about creativity and originality and innovation it just keeps evolving and growing and mixing and the genres are mixing and like you said now if you have a smartphone you could play on garage band and make something without even knowing how to play an instrument yeah it and you know you wonder 20 years from now what that looks like and um, from an emotional standpoint, you know, I, I haven't thought about that much, but like you're saying, these memories resonate with you. And I'm thinking like, as, as we're talking here, like memories that resonate with me and they all yeah. have an emotional tie, but a lot of them also have some kind of, uh, like, a, like the sporting things that, that have happened. I don't remember a lot, but I remember some things really clearly. Um, 
you know, emotional relationship things. Again, don't remember the details, but some things you're like, <laughs> like there's a snapshot that the videos that, that you remember, or, or even hunting and fishing memories that are pretty strong. Like from when I was little, little. Yeah. And I, I coached with two former walk-on division one athletes at Akron and mm -hmm. they could tell you plays that other teams ran and what they were, and they can go, they can run you through plays it's crazy. You ever see Sean McVay when they ask him about plays a couple of years ago and he can have, and he can go back and tell you the exact series and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. I mean, that, LeBron, there's that some clips of LeBron. Memory and LeBron like that too, where he, he goes through that. the exact series. Every time I would try to play golf, I would, I would mentally try to go back through every single stroke I took. Now I'm not that good of a golfer. So sometimes when painful. you get, <laughs> I, would, I would, I would almost try to replay it through my mind after I go through, I'm like, all right, can, can how much can I recreate? How much can I go through? And, yeah, those connections. And I mean, the, I said the, the brain's complex, the world's complex and just trying to get information about it and learn about it. Um, there's a Seinfeld quote the other day comparing the brain and the mind. And he was trying to say like the brain is, as a dog and you can train the brain, you can get into rituals and procedures and routines and, but the mind's a much more complex, um, playground. Yeah. So you talk a lot about in, in the per sports performance world and, and like sports psychology, like mental rehearsal and kind of going yeah. through it ahead of time and planning your movements. I have not heard anybody talk about practicing recall for athletic movements. Is that a thing? I don't know if it's a thing or not. I, I just sort of did it out of my own. Now I, I do have a TED Ed video show my kids where they talk about this study where they separate two groups and one group actually did the physical skill of shooting free throws. Mm -hmm. And they're about the same skill level. And then the other group just visualized it and they grew about the same amount. Right? I think it, even the group, the group that visualized maybe grew a slightly a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of visualization evidence, but yeah. it, you know what you were saying about that, like remembering the shot and thinking about it. I wonder if that is a skill that you could practice and what value it would, it would have. Yeah. I, I've watched documentaries on like memory is through chess players. I think it's Magnus on, um, Netflix, but the, the memory those guys have, they were playing against 20 different people blindfolded, oh, memorizing yeah. the entire board. They knew what the moves were. They knew what the other person's moves. They're, they're playing moves ahead, you well, know, they're playing crazy number of moves ahead. Yeah. Or if I see someone that is playing cover music out, you know, when I'm out and if they can play for two or three hours and never have to look at a set of lyrics. You know, that, you know, that for me sometimes is very challenging to try to remember somebody else's lyrics, but just the, that mental capacity to build the memory and, and what are they doing and how are they getting there? And those next level things, like what tips and tricks can you, can you pull away from those people? You know, and that, and that's where it all turns back to the performance zone and, and what, what is getting in the way of maybe this is a reflection part of being a coach, what's getting in the way, you know, looking back and from the coach's perspective or teaching or even personally, like, all right, what happened? What went wrong? What adjustment can we make? You know, why is this breaking down? Yeah. What is making this break, breaking down? And from a physical standpoint too, right. It, you know, you do a great job of, of, of communicating and teaching your patients skills to use when you're not there and educating them about what's going on. And, and here's your, here's your turnoff spot. All right. We'll do some chin tucks if, if it gets too bad. And that's the same approach I was trying to take with my students. Like, I want to give you skills that essentially when I'm out there, you can, you can handle it, your, handle it yourself, but the reflection component, how can we fix it? 
how can we keep getting beat on this play or what, you know, what do we, what mm-hmm. skill do we have to work or what feedback do we take from that performance? And I think, and that's one of my strong points, I think is as a teacher and even as a person is the reflecting back, um, you know, some of that could even be anxiety related where I'm just replaying, you know, like I could go back and de- you know, decompress and you're sort of replaying what's going on in the day and how, how can I approach this different or what's this like, or what am I really experiencing or how, what's really driving this behavior Cause that's the puzzle and challenge I take from a teacher's perspective is, you know, how can I motive help this kid? You can't really motivate somebody else. They have to motivate themselves. Motivation's internal. It's intrinsic. How can I get them the, the, the relight the flame or flip the switch back on, or how can I get them to re-energize? Right. You're going to try, how can you change the environment so that, that they feel motivated? Yeah. yeah. I, I guess, you know, uh, as a clinician, I reflect a lot. Usually, you know, like, you do something and maybe you do some joint work and some needling and whatever. And the person comes back and they say I'm worse. Well, first thing I do is go, all right, what the heck did we do? And then you're kind of running yeah. through that whole picture in your head and you're running it back and, and trying to, I wonder how much that actually involves like creating patterns and creating, um, neural, like new neural pathways kind of right. 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 Like next time I'm in this situation, I'm going to do this instead or, or whatever. I wonder, and can you practice it? Like, can you train it? You know, I do it because, it's just some kind of natural thing that I have to, like, it's my way of going through the yeah. puzzle. I think anytime you're doing it something a skill. new. Or, yeah. I think, you know, when you're learning something new, your brain's forming new neural pathways. When you pick up a new habit or trying mm-hmm. a new hobby or a new ritual, I'm sure it's grown. And, and, you know, that video talks about muscle memory, not actually being an actual memory, but you've done it so many times that like the fibers have built up that the neurons can go faster. Right. Yeah. Your brain's learning that pattern. Um, yeah, I mean that's a that's a big part of strength training and, and skill acquisition and everything. It's just learning how to get the muscles to fire with the right timing, coordination, and, and all that. Yeah, kind of and stuff. I think super I think fascinating. What you do is, and in, in, even with people and in, in general, and is go for the root cause. You know, the pain's showing up in a different area sometimes than it's originating. And from my perspective, I'm so focused on my shoulder, but it's coming from my neck. And if I go to somebody else, they might just try to treat the shoulder. That's that quick fix. That's temporary fix. And then it's going to come back again. And that's where you, you do a good job of getting to the root cause. And I try to go to the root cause as well as what's really driving this, the short-term quick, easy fix of um, that they may want is not, not going to do anything. And then that problem's just going to keep popping back up. If you actually don't ever address the root cause. Right. Like it's showing up as a test score or a quiz score. But yes. Okay. So we could rehearse this skill a thousand times, but who cares? Why didn't you achieve the test score is kind of your root cause. Like what circling back to that emotional piece that might be driving the lack. I I get exactly what you're saying there. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you don't deal with it, it, it's going to keep coming back up and then you spend how much time and energy are you spending on the wrong, wrong, quick fixes. Right. Um, Everyone has a limited amount of energy. and, And like I was saying before, I spread it out and, Sometimes I carry the weight of the trauma that my, my, my kids are feeling and I'm spread out to 65, 70, I've had even 120 kids, you know, during a year before. And that, that's a lot uh, to juggle and to handle. And that's where you're trying to get to those root causes because that is the big picture, big life thing. I think about my kids and the choices they make boils down to choices. Life's about choices. Um, How's that going to impact them? What they're doing, you know? 
mm-hmm. in one year, two years, three years, four years, how's it going to impact you when you get to a job? How's it going to impact you when you get to a team? And that's where I'm thinking that big picture. I've been down the path before, you know, like I'll tell, you know, I'll tell them all the time. All right. You know, like I've only person in this room that's been to college. You know, I'm the only person that's graduated high school. I'm the only per- you know, like trying to let them Does know. Does that just like, piss hey, them off? I'd be like, <laughs> I mean, they only had that much life experience. So you're just, I mean, you're just trying to be honest and authentic with them. It's like, you don't see, you don't see the impact you're going to have on yourself or how you're right. setting yourself up in a, in a couple of years or something. And I know what you're doing isn't going to, going to pay off in the long run. And to some regards, those mistakes you make will shape your your future as well, right? Because experience experience is the best teacher. Yeah, I'd rather learn from somebody else's mistake, but sometimes I can't tell you how many times like somebody's told me something, and I'm like, oh yeah, 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 I know. And then you still somehow do the same stupid thing, and you're like, oh, that's exactly what they said was going to happen. Yeah, I think life gives you the same test over and over again. You know, until yeah. until you until you pass it, and it keeps popping up and. And that's where you have to allow them to make some choices and support them when they, they get off the path. And you have to leave some space. Teachers are control freaks. You know, we, for the most part, we're left on our own. We can close the door. You know, sometimes we get evaluation, but I don't see, see a lot of outside in influence um, coming in or disrupting anything. So they're trying to control so much. You're trying to control so much, even from the coach, right? You're trying to cut out distractions. No outsiders at practice. We'll pump in music to practice what it's like to, you know, all those people that are Michael Phelps is practicing getting water in his goggles. What's it like when I wake up late or what, if I do this or do that, all these different scenarios trying to control so much, but we both know something's going to pop up in the game or pop up in life or pop up in the lesson that you haven't seen before. You know, we call that original problem solving from a mathematics perspective. What are you going to do? You know, that's where you bring your schools and your skills and your tool toolbox to the table. And getting comfortable with that is a skill too, I think. Like, yes. You know, I go teach a dry needling course and somebody asks some random question and, and you're like, uh, but now somebody, <laughs> you know, most of the time now somebody asks me a question, even if I don't have an answer, because I've been in a situation where I don't have an answer, I can kind of, you know, I can be comfortable enough to say, you know what? I'm not real sure. Let me look that one up. I'll get you tomorrow. And we'll, we'll, we'll figure that one that's out. A, that's a big strength. That's a but big plus. A lot, takes a lot of people can't do that. A lot of people can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Or I could just make something up and hope nobody calls me out on it. <laughs> I tell my kids all the time. Yeah. I tell my kids all the time. Like, it, I'll be honest with them and be like, I'm not just going to give you some blown answer right now. Right. It, that, that puts me in their shoes. Then I'm a learner and then I'm modeling the learning or I'm going, you know, what I do is I go to one of my colleagues who, who's got more veteran experience, who has seen it more times. You know, what, what do you see on this or how do you approach this or how do you approach, um, this concept or, and, and you kind of hinted at this earlier, but I think half of being a student is, is learning where to find answers. Um, yeah. you know, part of it is your ability to demonstrate a certain skill set and, and recall of knowledge or whatever. But a lot of it is when I don't know the answer, what is my thought process to go find it? Right. Maybe it's yes. something simple enough. I can go to Google or, or maybe I got to go find a mentor that has been here before and I can, I can talk to them, but that's what, I mean, it's problem solving. You know, I joke, right. I joke sometimes I'm a professional problem solver. Like I'm literally solving problems every single day in math. Like that's where, you know, uh, and, and I don't know if it's like part of me to want to help situations or, you know, just try to offer help, but you know, you're problem solving. Right. And I, that's, um, I mean, pick your job, pick your career. They all have like, that's a, that's a core component of no matter what you're going to end up doing. 
So that's where you hope you have systems and concepts in place. You'd hope for an athlete that you know you'd give them enough that they could make the adjustment on on their own, and you've given them that foundation. And um, you know, the huge part is also connecting with the people that are are leading you, and that leadership plays a part in it, and, and that they feel safe to to fail that they trust you enough that if you fail or make a mistake, if a coach jumps all over you, how does that play out the next time? How does that internalize in that athlete? If I jump over a kid for making a mistake in class, I tell my kids all the time, I'm I'm a, I'm a human being, human beings make mistakes. And I love, I give them candy sometimes if they catch something that I'm doing, that's incorrect. Or they call call me out on it and say, thank you for making me better. Mm -hmm. You know, cause I can't, it's got to work both ways. It can't, you got practice where you preach actions have to match the words um, I don't know everything. I'm going to make mistakes because I'm a human being. And I try to encourage that. Whereas sometimes that gets a uh, emotional response that's heightened um, anger, frustration, or s- some sort of resentment builds between the teacher and the student or the coach and the player. And that's the emotional literacy component to this. And that's where that impacts the p- performance of, of being aware of it. You have to know that you can how you deliver the message and what you say, what message am I delivering? What, are the, what is the kid going to take away from this? Do they feel safe enough to call me out if I'm not wearing my mask over my nose? You know, do they feel safe enough to point out a mistake? You know, cause if, if you don't have that kind of interaction with those people, it's, you know, as a leader, there better be a little bit of change on your side. Um, there's this, guy that says, you know, if no one's on the dance floor, change a song. His name's Dr. Joe Clark. He's the Nordonia school's superintendent, you know, but that idea that if no one's dancing, think about what's changing the song, changing the, your side, not just saying a lot of people sit back and say, going back to those kids that are stuck or struggling in school, that kid's lazy, right? They just judge and label and criticize and like, what are you doing to support him or her? You know, what are you, what are you doing to, to, have you told that person you care? Like I did a Google form the other day and do you know, Mr. DiCaprio cares about you? How do you know? And the kids could retell me my words. Some of it's funny, you know, as far as some of the responses or what their perspective is, but you know, that's, that's the social emotional part of all this. You know, do I, when you make a correction for me, does it build resentment? You know, um, the messages that you're sending to me, are you practicing what you're preaching? Are you saying one thing and doing another? Yeah. We have to consider, you know, we talk about it when, when we're teaching needling courses is the group asking you questions, right? Cause for a lot of people, they've never done needling before. Yeah. And so if you don't get any questions all day, right. There's the argument that, well, I've taught this thing so many times that I know which questions are coming and I've addressed them, <laughs> you know, like yeah. some of them, I yeah. just know, like. You teach five courses in a row, you get the same question. Like That's what I do. Yeah, I'm gonna first, address that. I, I learned the first time I teach a class, I try to address all those ahead of time and I go right. the next time. Yeah. You kind of anticipate what, what's coming. So the, there's that argument. And then there's the argument of are you presenting in a way that the, the group doesn't feel comfortable to ask you a question? Yes. And that's yes. a problem, right? That's a yes. problem because there's gonna are, be are questions, you, right? It's a new skill. Are you giving them a way to check in or are you giving right. them a way to communicate? How are they communicating? What are they communicating? What what's the frequency of that? Those are all things you really have to have to be aware of. Yeah, everything seems so complicated, but it all it all is intertwined. You can't separate Jocko, parts and pieces. Jocko would say, "What? It's on That's, the person that asked the question." He was talking about even cultures. I mean, if you ask the question, 
what are people going to think about me? Are they going to think I'm not smart? Do they think I'm not? And that's yeah. that social emotional response again. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm afraid that my boss is going to think this or, and Jocko would say that's on you to ask the question. Extreme ownership. You have to ask that, but you're right. It, I don't think it's black and white like that. It's both. It's the environment. You'd hope it's the environment and people think about the environment and the culture. Um, but I even have kids where I see it now where they're scared, scared to ask for help. I try to tell them, I told them in my interview, I'm not afraid to ask questions as a strength. Right. That, that, that's a strength. And that goes back to, you know, like Kevin Love, where the stigma around mental health and mental illness. Um, I heard a Ted Ed talk the other day and I can't remember who the guy was and I couldn't find the, his name and I was looking it up, but one out of five people are impacted by mental illness. Five out of five people have mental health. Uh, I mean, yeah, we're all, we're all dealing with some kind of something, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I love the, the, you know, the Jocko extreme ownership thing. Yeah. That's obviously so popular because it's so relatable, but when you were talking about your kid that, you know, we're going to blame the kid because he's not learning from the instructor teacher standpoint, I have to be able to look at and go, well, why doesn't that kid feel comfortable to learn? You know? Yes. And how do I, yeah. and for me, it's like, I send somebody home with a home exercise program and they come back the next week and they're like, well, I didn't do it. Okay. Did I, you know, were they just being lazy? It's really easy for me to say, well, you're lazy. You're not going to get better. You know, screw off. The lack of thinking there. That's the lack of critical thinking, lack of thinking about the context. Yeah. Right. Maybe I gave them exercise that didn't make any darn sense. So they didn't feel yep. safe to do it. Or, you know, maybe they're, you know, the real reason they're so they're in pain and stressed out is because they got 10,000 other things going on at home. I gave them a complicated skill to do. And now like, it's just overwhelming. Right. So yeah, the whole, right. The approach needs change. So I, I try to never, you know, in my world, it's never the client's fault. They don't go home and do their exercises or they don't, you know, they're not, Maybe there was a, there's something that I like, man, I wish they would have really done that. Okay. Why didn't they do it? And what did I screw up? You know what I mean? Like it's always coming back to me of, okay, how can I deliver this better? Yeah. And I think you and I are the same with this where I always blame myself first. Mm -hmm. What can I do better? If I was the coach that would tell my team after a loss, I didn't prepare you well enough. Right. This isn't on you. The, the, it's not your fault. Goodwill hunting. It's not your fault. You know, like this is on me. I was blaming myself first. Now it does. You do have some times where I have to tell the kids like, you know, you, you also have a role to play in this. Um, but you're right. Think about the context surrounding and as human beings, we were so quick to judge, label and criticize. And then for me, if I think about the teacher that or maybe you, anybody you say is lazy, um, maybe they haven't found their passion or their engagement yet. But it's my job, like a dentist, if you come in to, to my room to try to fill in the, the cavity, try to fill in the gaps. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't care that you're struggling. I'm trying to get this kid unstuck so that next year in seventh grade, you know, I'm trying to change a life essentially at, at this point in time, right. um, making it easier for you when they, they progress up, up the levels. Cause this is a major kind of a uh, life, major kind of life event. And you want, I want the kids to feel success. I want everyone to shine. Yeah. You a know, whole different level of assessment there, right? That's that, that root cause, as you were saying, if you can, you can troubleshoot that, that's a game changer because now everything's changed down downstream. Yeah. And that's problem solving too. And it's like, you yeah. know, the, in the time that you're complaining about this kid's lazy, I've already helped them for 15 minutes. Do they know how to get, you know, and then you're saying, do they know how to get support? Do they, you know, all, all those little nuances and complexities and, and where is actually, what's actually going on? You know, what's beyond the surface? What, what clues are they giving me? Like you're saying, how can I change my side of it? 
Um, did I explain it well enough? Um, was it clear enough? Did we drill it the right way? You, you know, so you, it's just constant feedback. Yeah. And I think that's what makes uh, the exceptional teachers and, and coaches and that ability to self-criticize their own delivery of the content, change the delivery. Like sometimes it's just a matter of one word, right? You just, you know, I'm always doing given exercises and stuff, right? And you say it one way that like, you know, you say, uh, you know, take your hip to the wall and then nothing happens. And you're like, <laughs> well, the hinge this way or tighten it, you know, and it's just, you say, you're saying the exact same message, but you change the word. And all of a sudden you just see it click. And that's my favorite part in coaching when you just see them go, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then boom, it happens, yeah. you know, and part of that's, I call it KYP from coaching, know your personnel, you know, mm-hmm. does this person want the ball in the wing? Can they do anything with the ball in the wing? If I give them the ball in the wing and they can't do anything with it or they travel because they're not comfortable, that's on me. That's a bad pass. That's not right. a not, not person's fault. So, you know, the client's the best. How can I relate to my students or my audience? Who's my right. audience? How can I connect to them, the people right in front of me? And that's where, if I know they're an athlete or if I know they're a musician, that's where I give the coaching metaphors and the athletic uh, metaphors and I'll bring in the music and try to be well-rounded. So like, all right, you're a golfer or you're this or you're that. And I try to connect with them conceptually or, or explain it in, in their ways. Cause you're right. It, when you're saying it, one word matters. If you're writing a sentence, the comma matters. If you're telling a joke, did I pause? Did mm-hmm. I, I just change this one word? This word sounds funnier than this word. Did I, you know, like the order matters. Like there's yeah. all these little tiny little nuances and details. And that's where it gets fun when you, when you take it from a, experimental standpoint and, and, and like a science standpoint, and it's like an experiment to you and you're playing around with it. All right. We tried this. You said it before this didn't work. We're getting feedback or information that this didn't work and, and taking that as a good thing and not letting that slow you down or stop you from going on. Um, Edison, he didn't find 10,000 ways, uh, to fail. He found 10,000 ways not to build a light bulb. And it was that, you know, that, that next attempt that took him, but how can you instill that grit in the kids? How can you, um, you know, get them to keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. It's the try. It's the effort that you, you mm-hmm. want to and, and keep going after it. And, and, and that's where you're trying to inspire and motivate and turn on and, and educate. Yeah. I, I love listening to Joe Rogan's podcast. I listen to it all the time. And I love when he talks about comedians and like how they build their bits and how they build their material and, yeah. Um, like, like you were saying, the changing and the spacing and the commas and, and the pauses and, um, uh, you listen to him analyze the delivery of a comic and he like talks about like the timing of the delivery and, and, and how he gets rusty if he's not doing gigs a lot. And you're like, man, you know, it's, he's such another level of, of thinking, yeah. but no matter what it is, I love just hearing people analyze that breakdown. You know, well, the feedback you do, I mean, you, this is where you do a great job of after every exercise or drill, you put someone through, let's check the range of motion again. Like, what did that do? Mm-hmm. A yeah. lot of people through the whole workout or whatever, or, you know, I go to a PT and I get 20 minutes of ice or heat or something I could do at home. He, sh- he sees me doing a couple exercises, you know, like there's no, we never check range of motion once, let alone multiple times within the same session. You sort of keep going back back to that. And then you also deliver some concepts too, or, you know, the pinning of a position and, and moving it and, and pinching it. And mm-hmm. that counterintuitive part that there's good pain. I saw your Instagram post the other day, but you, where's the line between rest, too much rest, pain, mm-hmm. too much pain, mm-hmm. listening to what your body's telling you, right? We want these 
athletes, students, people to listen to what their, their body's telling them and, and respond to that. And they have to troubleshoot that on their own. Um, but you want to give them the skill set to be able to do that. This microphone's going to drive me insane. <laughs> I think I broke it. I'm trying to get all fancy with this technical equipment and it just gives you hard times. But, but yeah, I mean that, you know, in the PT world, we always call it test retest, right? Like do something, see what happens, get the response, retest it. Okay. That was good. Great. If it sucked, let's re let's redo it, you know, and, uh, every, every career and it's learning. I mean, you try something, right. They they script it, right. The same, you think about improv artists that are playing off of each other. Yeah. Nothing scripted. And that's sort of you, it's almost like jazz. What what you do where a lot of people have the script program. All right, we're going to do 20 minutes here. We're going to do exercises for 20 minutes. We're going to come back and hit you on the right. the machine. Go boom, boom. It's, it's, it's colored, uh, colored by numbers. Everything's colored by numbers. It doesn't matter what feedback you're giving me. And that's, that's dangerous, you know, or, you know, ineffective leadership where I got to respond to the kids. If the kids aren't into it, I might try something in my third time around teaching the lesson that I didn't do, or I might try something totally different for this high energy class versus the low energy class I have in the morning because they are tired from the waking up. And that's where it's the live time. What feedback am I getting? A comedian, you get instant feedback on your joke. And then you also have to deal with the response. If you tell that joke and it's just hanging out there and nothing happens, you know, like you got to pick yourself up and keep going. Some of those comedians are very scripted and some of them have touch points here, here, and here. And then how do you connect from A, B, and A, B, and C. The improv group and, and like the guys, the comedians that are like working the crowd, like the crowd work stuff is, man, that's such a unique skill. Um, we did in a business group I was in, Brett Bartholomew came to to talk and he's got, um, what's his book? Conscious Coaching. And he talks about like teaching to different personality types and whatever. But part of the 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 conference when he spoke is we did like improv sessions. Have you ever done that? Uh, so my friends and I used to like in high school do like skits and sketches. I never did like formal improv training, but the yes and and playing with it, we we dabbled around with a little bit. Like we were doing some like the state or like uh, Saturday Night Live kind of things, old VHS, uh, the old big black yeah. video tapes. We were doing some of that. So and it's funny we're both talking about. I've always thought comedy was fascinating. I think it's the ultimate performance. Where you're just by yourself. It's like a solo artist. Yeah. Just you and a microphone telling the story. You know that to me is like wow, and that's real like rock and roll. And but you're saying like the improv and any time where your your live response, just like you're playing a video game, right? This thing's coming at me. I gotta zig this way or I gotta hit this button. And yeah, but real life feedback, like you're gonna feel that. <laughs> one. You're gonna feel that one. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, it's definitely, it's a skill and people are practicing it and, uh, like anything else, I guess you get better at it the more you do it, but pretty cool stuff. Well, Hey man, as we go, we're coming up on an hour, we're over an hour. Um, is there any, like one last little bit of information? Like if you had a kid or a parent, um, that, that you'd like to leave them with or some kind of last tidbit. Um, maybe like the, you don't. I think it's the Maya Angelou quote. Maybe you don't care what people know until they know that you care. Uh-huh. You know, the, the relational impact, uh, you know, the, the relationships matter. And, and essentially what I'm trying to, my journey is trying to find a spot where I can deliver on that why and use the tragedy in my life in, in a positive way. So 
trying to educate people about, you know, the importance of emotional literacy and, and, and learning the language behind it. And it's not something to be scared of and talking about ideas and concepts and mental health, you know, like everyone experiences it, everyone experiences those emotions. Um, so let's start having those conversations, you know, let's start having that space. It's nothing to be afraid of. It's not a weakness. You know, it's not a weakness to talk about mental health. It's not a weakness to talk about emotions. It's not a weakness uh, to feel, you know, that's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, especially in the world of technology and what we're dealing with today, you hope to see more and more of that and people able to get those emotions out and express it and get the mention the training. Deal with it. Deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, thank you so much for having me on. I was looking forward yeah, man, to this it. Fun. It was a great time. Uh, my band you said is called the, the satellite era. We just dropped a seven song EP, um, in December. It's our, it was our first release and, uh, we're going to head into the studio in, in the springtime and record some more, but it's called the satellite era. You can, you can find it. It's out there. Uh, again, thank you so much for having cool. me on here. For sure, man. We'll share the links to that and uh, All right. we'll put that in the little post so people can check it out. All right, man. Thanks. We'll, uh, I'll, I'll see you again here soon. <laughs> we'll see you. Thank right, you. Thank you for enjoying the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. Hope you're able to pick up a few things to help you live and move better. We'd really appreciate a like, share, review, or follow in order to help us continue to grow this podcast and help more people like you looking to feel and move better as active adults. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.